American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past, as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and we would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and contact information, or just email us at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I am here with Tom as always. Tom, how have you been? I am good, as always. Good. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I try to. I, I, I sense a little Bill and Ted cadence in your voice there today. <laughs> Can't imagine where that came from. <laughs> Dicking with some old time travel motif just real quick yet another celebrity guest added to the comic expo roster christopher lloyd that, is coming for two days that's amazing that's that's super cool that's pretty awesome i just don't know how they're gonna fit in all these q a's and not be on top of each other do i do we have press passes for three days <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're gonna need them we're gonna need them it's a good thing I plan to come out for it all. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be busy bees. <laughs> He's going to, that's got to be an interesting, he'd be a very interesting person to hear talk. He's done, God, so many films. Forget just Back to the Future. Forget just Star Trek. He's done all kinds of stuff. I'd love to um, just hear about his time on Taxi. Oh, absolutely. Um, some of his smaller films and stuff that he's done. There was, um, oh, what was the one? He was in a film. I'm almost positive he was in a film a while ago called The Dream Team with, I think it had Michael Keaton and Jeffrey Tambor and Christopher Lloyd. Isn't that the one where they're all from the uh, a psychiatric ward and they... Yeah. Yes. Yes. God, I haven't seen that in forever. I remember that being <laughs> so much fun. I Exactly. I remember that being a lot of fun. It would be kind of great to actually ask him, like, was it fun? <laughs> But but a bunch of guys loose from the uh, the nut house. <laughs> yeah, if I remember right, though, they go to a baseball game with their therapist, and then something happens to the therapist, and, and they're they just left separated. So they're stranded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, now I suddenly want to go and try to dig that up and see if it's as good as I remember. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Things to do in future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, hearing his tales of being uh, the Reverend Jim on Taxi. Yeah. Again, that would be, that's an hour right there. Yeah, because I mean, it it definitely would, because that was such an oddball character. I mean, just the way, it was such a physical comedy too. And, and yeah, I'd love to hear all about how he put that together, what it was like to do that, and f- do that for years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that would be amazing. And then, well, and then juxtapose that with being like uh, Captain Krug or whatever his name was from Star Trek Three. He, he's actually probably the one that set the tone truly for what Klingons would be for decades to come. You know, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Other than the brief appearance in the motion picture, we did not have Klingons until Star Trek III. You're right. He set the bar. He did. Uh, that The new style, yes, they set the makeup and the look in the motion picture. But it wasn't until Christopher Lloyd till we had Klingon personality. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. It's... Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, no, he's a bigger figure in Star Trek than most actually realize. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, tremendous. That's, I don't know how they're going to give everyone an hour. <laughs> I just, <laughs> some of these, some of these guests are going to need two. We, we might need recruits. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got so many recorders. Right. <laughs> Get your phones out, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. It, it may be that bad. There's a there's a lot going on, and I, quite frankly, again, we've been to that show before, 
Um, we know the rough layout. Um, I don't know how they're going to have to open more than one more rooms than they have currently to pack in everything that they're trying to do. Right, because they only have the one really big main event room uh, for the Q&As. Uh, they had a smaller room where they were doing some Q&As with some of the oh, the lesser celebrities. Sure. Um, and that was would hold maybe a quarter of what the main room would. Right. And I, I just don't know if that's going to work. No, I, I, I don't either. So, uh, well, first off, we're going to have to use our press passes properly this time. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we definitely get the okay from them when they hand it to us. Like, now, I know these actually these say VIP, but does that mean really VIP? Like, like I can just hang out in the room. <laughs> yeah, we can just go <laughs> to front the, of the line. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to get. We've been very courteous, and, and we will continue to be courteous, but we got a lot of material to cover, too. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's a few that I do not want to be uh, on the outside of the door with the glass <laughs> to the wall trying to hear. Right. No, I, we're going to have to keep an eye out for the schedule when it comes out because uh, the thing uh, to note, too, is we're really only a month out. <laughs> yeah, it's close. Yeah. Closer than you think. Well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Comic Expo, actually, this works really well. Um, last year's Comic Expo, you know, we went down and was it last year or the year before where we met Kyle Murphy and his short film Vampire Foxes from Space? That was last year because the prior year there was none. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the world was on fire in that prior year. so <laughs> Right. Well, of course, this was just the short film that he was able to put together, but uh, I just wanted to give a little update. He finally gave a little update of what's going on in the Vampire Foxes drum space world. Uh, he's put out a congratulations to the comic artist Tad Galusha uh, as he nailed down a Best Film Poster Award at one of the festivals that they were attending. Very nice. And this, uh, they said, likely closing out an awesome, awesome festival run for us. He says, on to planning the future. Tad is currently working on more content for the comic book that will be part of our funding project for part two, hopefully the feature. And I have started inquiring with a number of other artists as well as a for a yet unannounced project that should be quite fun. I am finally working on our merch store. More, I am finally working on our merch store and back to writing the novella. Wish us luck on the continuing saga of this journey across the cosmos for the Earth invasion. So Vampire Fractals from Space is not dead, even though it's been quiet for a year. Sure. Uh, I'm really thrilled that he's still plugging away at this, because I would love to see a feature-length film with this premise. No, I, that would be a lot of fun. I, there was a lot of love in in that attempt, and... Uh, the, I love the the tie-in between the comic book story and world and the movie and yes. that world. I love that how they did that, and if they can, can kind of continue that even with what what they do get out, that'll be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I, I especially love the. You said there's a lot of love. The amount of effort mm -hmm. that they've put into the the project is just astounding, and it's just yeah. I just want them to do well. Sure. I mean, this is this is part of what we enjoy, particularly about the independent stuff. Uh, I literally had a conversation with somebody else about that tonight. I'm like, we are always very um, forgiving of people's stuff because at least as long as you're out there putting in a solid effort, get putting your love into it, and you produce at least something fun, that's that's what it's all about. And for any independent crew that can manage to do that and get it out, their project out into the world, that's amazing. So mm -hmm. um, they, they were obviously having a lot of fun, and I hope they get to do more so that we can have some fun with them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've definitely seen a few of these independents that we're kind of sorry in the end that we watched. Um, this is our get, those are our opportunities to suggest alternate career paths. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in most of those, we do find some shining light somewhere in there. If, if it's a particular actor, or you know, the the story was good, but 
just you you needed more money to actually tell it right, you know that sort of thing. And then there's ones like uh, vampire foxes from space and uh, sewer gators, which we both had a lot of fun with. Again, like you were saying, it's just fun. They knew what they were doing. They were having a good time. And you have a good time because of it. Yeah, yeah, no. Not every film is required to be the summer blockbuster popcorn munching extravaganza. Sometimes you go, this is what we can do. But let's know that that's what we can do and have fun with that. Um, I know we haven't reviewed it on the uh, on the show. Or actually, Matt and I may, I may have made Matt watch this years ago. <laughs> But you just watched the uh, the FP for the first time. Yes, Jason Trost's uh, film. Yes, he should find and other work. <laughs> no, just keep on plugging away. He's got he's got the FP three and two and four coming out here soon. No, that that, that was definitely a ride. But uh... <laughs> I loved it. You you told me you were going to be watching that. And I'm like, oh, that's so exciting! Literally. I we got off of Skype and I went and pl- put the DVD in the uh, and watched it myself. But uh, I that is just it's a fun, insane, stupid film. But it, it is, is yes. I enjoy that so much. Uh, there's nothing like solving your problems with Dance Dance Revolution. Hey LWE, I challenge you to a beat up. Say what? Creating a need and then filling it. YouTube is apparently working on a channel store for streaming services. Matt and I talked about this, but this was back when we, we when the streaming first kind of started showing its head and everyone was getting their streaming services. We had talked about how there's now so many stream, streaming services and, you know, trying to choose and, and, and spend your money. Do you do it with Netflix? Do you do it with Hulu? Do you got to get them all? Whatever. And we said that someone would try to put together a hub for the streaming services. Well, I think you and I've had this conversation too, because all that's going to end up happening and YouTube's having a crack at it is it's cable. Yeah. <laughs> We're right back to where we started. <laughs> and, and you know what? I'm okay with that. I mean, really? I, I think it's insane. Why make this move away from something? I'm cutting the cord and plugging in. <laughs> Right, but again, the the wealth of material out there um, and the independent costs of each. The only way this works, though, is if they're able to somehow create packages of yeah. of streaming services that will ultimately save you money in doing so. Yep, I was it, just going to say there there has to be a huge discount for doing it through this versus just going to the individuals. Because that's the part that's burying people right now is that like, yeah, it's great. There's all this content out here. Some are better than others, but they coast off of their main thing. So you don't want to keep opening and closing these accounts. That becomes a nightmare. If there are ones that you want and if you have a way to bundle them and save, that makes sense. But does YouTube have the power to do that? Will they have the sway over all of these other things, knowing full well they themselves are part of the competition for everybody else? It almost feels like YouTube's throwing in the towel. You know, they tried to do the YouTube television or the YouTube, and they were going to do YouTube originals and all this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they're saying... Uh, never mind. We'll just make money off everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and they all kind of come together after a while for some of that. Uh, actually, that's we could almost get into the alternate conversation around whatever the hell is going on with Warner Brothers and and Discovery and all of that because that's again, it's it's a bunch of things all trying to merge together and now they have to come up with the formula what they are now in this new environment if youtube does this uh, that it, it could be competition in that area where some people are trying to buy out streaming services and merge them all together whereas they're talking about possibly just offering a hub for all of them how how long is it before the pendulum really swings back the other way and we're just left with three networks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, as long as, see, the one thing that we, I think we can agree uh, with all these streaming services and all that, we are in the glory days of content. Whatever mm. you like, it's out there, um, good, bad, and ugly, but because there is so much, it has caused television to step up its game. It is now, it's it's fashionable to say that you're a TV or a streaming artist as opposed to need I need to be a movie star. Uh, right. Get as much love, if not more, doing it that way. So, so yeah, I'm interested to see what they do, but if they don't actually find a way to make it cheaper to bundle that stuff together, that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it'll be curious to see uh, how it all hammers out. Yes, uh, indeed. And quite frankly, it could help with some others um, because I know... When you subscribe to various things, you get either year-long trials of stuff, and there are some streaming services out there that are just terrible, absolutely terrible. Like, I use uh, my biggest one, sorry, AMC Plus, but um, I I have that one temporarily right now. I use it to watch Better Call Saul. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about it is we're in the final episodes, like literally the finale, I think, was last last night Yep. Um, at, at the time of our recording. So if I don't watch that in the next week, the entirety of season six will be gone on AMC+. It's their program. I can't mm. watch all of Better Call Saul. And on top of it, the second half of the sixth season will be gone before the month of August is out. Do you just take it off? Does it go it elsewhere? Disappears. No. That's insane. Why it, would they do that? I assume, well, Netflix does carry Better Call Saul, and I don't know if they have rights to do something mm. with it after a certain point. Because yeah, season yeah. five only just went up on Netflix, but that means they're not likely to carry season six till next year. But then what the hell is AMC for? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's real curious. Yeah. So that is crazy. And then you'll you'll run into those. And then, uh, like I was mentioning with the Warner Brothers Discovery merger thing, Discovery needed to do something anyways, because the fact that it has a streaming service, I don't know what it's for other than to watch old episodes of Mythbusters. I tried watching it years ago, tried to watch something on Discovery on their streaming platform. And uh, granted, it was like the the free one, so you got a lot of ads and stuff like that. But it was a situation where towards the end, the ads kept playing. Mm -hmm. It would go like it was, we needed like five minutes left of the program. And it would play an ad, and then the little logo would come up for the show, and then it would play it an ad again, and it just kept happening. Oh, God. And I was like, well, I guess we're not going to watch the finale of this. <laughs> it sounds like the, that movie I tried to watch the one time <laughs> ways back, where the closer you got to the end, the more ads that started showing up. I'm like, yes. oh, my God, <laughs> can we just finish yeah. this? It was really frustrating, because it was like, okay, you're trying to do it. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you clicking over to the program that you just keep showing the same ads over and over again so yeah i wasn't too impressed with discovery's system yeah so i mean across the board maybe the possibility of building a hub of some kind could actually help with some of the structure of some of these streaming services too because Mm -hmm. some of them are better than others i mean we've talked about some of the free ones um uh like Last night, I actually tried to watch something on Shout Factory, and it's not that I'm not expecting the ads, but it's really murderous when the same ad runs six times consecutively. (laughs) Yes. And speaking of the free services, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. and, you know, someone's putting this stuff out there, but for the love of God, put a freaking search feature on it. I've ran into a couple where it's like, oh, it. This, this movie or this show is on this streaming service. I'd like to watch that. Good luck finding it. Pluto fixed It's there that. somewhere. <laughs> if I dig through this sub-menu to go to this sub-menu and then go find... No. I want a damn magnifying glass <laughs> so that I can type in the title and go to the 
flipping thing. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's funny when they have on demands, but you have to go search through a hundred different files just, yes. just to find the one that you want, and that's assuming it's actually there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wonder, are they getting paid by how long you spend on the app? <laughs> <laughs> Gets a. Yeah, that gets a little brutal, too. So, yeah, no, I was happy when Pluto came up with their actual search tool. <laughs> oh, do they have one? I'm pretty sure that was one that yeah. I had that experience with where yeah. I was like, I was trying to find something, but I I can't search for it, so I gave up. I know for a fact last year when we were doing our October run we that we were trying to find a movie on Pluto and that was the problem. Is okay. You couldn't yeah. drill down to it. So I ha- I probably have not been back to Pluto since then. Yeah. No. They they have since added a search feature. So now it's a Thank little you. easier. Thank you very much, Pluto. <laughs> yes. No. They, they 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 heard the criticism. They figured that out. Not everybody has though. Watch the space. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to evolve. Yeah. It always will. All right, we'll tell you what, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we are going to finally get to Bill and Ted Face the Music. Jeff Owens and I'm Richard Chamberlain and we want you to join our club the Classic Horrors Club every month Richard and I host the Classic Horrors Club podcast where we talk about our favorite subject horror movies some of them are classics we all go a little mad sometimes and some definitely aren't what you see is real what's done is done and what I've done is right it's the work of science but we love them all the same We also have special theme months where we highlight the legendary stars. And we head to the drive-ins of the past every summer for exciting double and triple features. Hi, I'm Chili Dilly, the personality pickle. And we even have occasional guests. My obsession, and it is truly an obsession, I suppose, of Frankenstein the True Story dates back to when it first aired in two parts on NBC in 1973. So join the fun and listen to the Classic Horrors Club podcast today. Hosted by SoundCloud, we're available wherever fine podcasts are found. And for even more fun, check out the video companion on our YouTube channel. And remember, we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Twenty-five years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barstow, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. You were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. We've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will reunite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? How'd you like our song? It's a little on the dark side, but you know, that's cool. Bill and Ted Face the Music was from, I mean, I can't believe it's already been two years since this thing came out. 2020. Uh, Keanu Reeves returns as Ted Theodore Logan. Alex Winter as William S. Bill Preston Esquire. Let's see who else we got in this. Joining them, or returning, is uh, Amy Stock as Missy. Uh, William Sadler is the Grim Reaper. Uh, Hal Landon Jr. is uh, Ted's father. Are all back from the original films. And then joining them in this film is uh, Kristen Shaw is Kelly, the daughter of Rufus and the Great Leader. And I really appreciate that uh, they gave the character the name Kelly. That is apparently George Carlin's daughter's name. 
So that was a very nice nod to, to George Carlin. Samara Weaving as Theodora Thea Preston. Uh, she's actually the niece of Hugo Weaving. Uh, I was actually wondering that when I saw her name, if she was related. She is indeed related. Uh, Bridget Lundy Payne as Wilhelma Billy Logan. And Kid Cuddy as himself. I'm going to throw one in, in there, too, because I was happy to see it. Uh, as I watched the, the uh, end credits, mm-hmm. they actually gave George Carlin a credit because they used they his used likeness. his likeness and his voice in, in the film. He makes a holographic appearance. And yes. uh, and I, I love that they actually gave him a full credit in the film. That was cool. Well, it has been over 30 years since Rufus told Bill and Ted of their most excellent place in future history. Despite Wild Stallion's success after their bogus journey, they have not yet written the song that will bring peace to the world and align the planets. The band is broken up and Bill and Ted's marriages are on the brink of doing the same. The great leader of the year 2720 sends her and Rufus's daughter Kelly back to collect Bill and Ted for an audience. She informs them that it isn't just Earth that needs this song, it is the universe. Time and space are unraveling if they don't perform the song by 7.15pm that night at a place called MP46, everything will be destroyed. Bill and Ted decide their only course of action is to travel to their future to get the song from themselves after they've written it. In doing so, they visit different versions of their future selves while being stalked by the killer robot Dennis, who has been sent by the great leader gambling that the prophecy is wrong and that killing Bill and Ted will stabilize the continuum. Thea and Billy, Bill and Ted's daughters, borrow Kelly's time travel pod to collect some of the greatest musicians in history to have a band ready to go when their dads get back with the song. Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Ling Lund, who is the mythical creator of music in China, and Grom, a drummer from prehistory. It is another race with time, and this time creation itself hangs in the balance. Now, we both said before uh, we watched this, this was going to be a, a finally watch. Yes. Not even first time, a finally get around to watch. Yep. Uh, we we sat down and watched this as a family. We've watched the, the first two about a year ago, I think. Um, oh, actually, it might have been even a little longer. I think we watched the first two in preparation to finally watch this one as it was coming out. We watched it, and it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, I think you're hitting it on the head I, uh, my son and i watched this one too actually he hasn't seen bogus journey yet uh um, that's fine he he he, <laughs> he seemed amused but uh but this movie's kind of a mess <laughs> a little bit i think i don't know what do you think were they trying too hard trying to fit in all the little touchstones from the first two films into this third film that they sort of lost their way as far as like a, well, you know, you and I were just talking about how you got to try to make the movie fun. Yeah. You know, if you're a filmmaker, you're a writer, you're a director, you're actors, you know, make the movie fun. And despite the fact that there's moments in here that should be fun, they don't all come across as fun. They kind of come across as, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, like, the first, uh, the reason the first film is so much fun is Bill and Ted are clowns. They're, they're, they're happy about everything. Um, they are smiling, they are bouncing around, they, they, they just exude joy in everything that they do so no matter how ridiculous whatever they were doing they look like they were having a great time <laughs> right. I mean, even when they're in the medieval and they're having their moment in the battle and all of a sudden bill thinks ted's dead and all that the the it didn't come off super serious, and when it, he wasn't dead it was just so good they they, they were just like <laughs> Yeah, man, dude, this is awesome. They, they, they Excellent. It. But now you dial this 30 years later, and I'm afraid some of Keanu Reeves' weight and roles 
take too much toll on who we know to be Keanu Reeves. So he's not Ted anymore. So when you're watching him, and, and this was the part that was starting to drive me crazy, these are men in their, they're supposed to be, if the timing all works out, it was 89 when the first movie came out, so they were supposed to be about 16, 17 at the time, so right. they should be in their late 40s, early 50s tops. Um, that's how old they're supposed to be, and they're still rocking the 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 dude and the bogus and all that i'm like but their faces don't match the things that they're saying and not because they're older but because they're looking way too serious while they're going oh whoa man heinous so like it it sounds like bummed out stoners more than (laughs) and then they carry the gag to the daughters too so despite the fact that the daughters are supposed to be of the the 2020 kind of era um they're talking like their dads did in 89 Mm -hmm. and that comes off wrong looking at from that direction i agree Mm -hmm. but i actually thought one of the highlights of this film was the casting of the daughters particularly samara weaving her uh, Keanu Reeves Ted impression was spot on. Oh, I know. Uh, no, and, and this movie has its moments. That that was fun. Uh, but I mean, it, like I said, it became a little labored. We're supposed to. I I don't know. I'm trying not to to defecate all over this film because <laughs> I love Bill and Ted so much, but it just felt like they were trying so hard and they just didn't know what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And they didn't know where they fit in their own time. Like, uh, I get that uh, we, we were led to believe from all the early stuff that, I mean, this was the group that was going to save the world. And by the way, they telegraphed the solution to the problem way early in the film when they mention instead of call uh, referring to wild stallions coming up with the song um they just mentioned preston <laughs> logan. and logan yeah, logan preston and yeah, like or... well okay we're talking about the daughters then like yeah like we were done in the first 15 20 minutes of the movie <laughs> so i'm like okay so now we gotta sit here and watch them get to the point um but yeah, just the whole the, the the some of the gags that they were trying to pull off that were from the original weren't working on a, a group of fifty year old men. It, and you know, you mentioned that they they telegraph. It's obvious, like you said, right from the start. But oh yeah, the the, the song and written by Preston Logan because they they changed the the prophecy or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, the, from the, the the great leader says that you know they they said the song from Preston Lo- not Bill and Ted not Wild Stallions but Preston Logan and I'm like yeah yeah exactly you're thinking well well it's the daughters because why else even have the daughters if right. they don't play that role. And yet at the end it still feels like they made it up at, on the spot. <laughs> kind of and here here's one of the things I to this day, um, actually, after I came home from my evening last night, I actually got out of the car singing the opening song to the original Bill and Ted's movie. All my life I wanted to fly like a buzz at your sea way up in the sky. Make ourselves in the morning sun flying high in the sky till the day. I know that song by heart. It came into my head and I was singing it. Do you remember a single song from this movie? Even though we watched this just it days ago, if that. Yeah. I'm only two days out from watching this. Yeah, I watched it uh, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I think, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm sitting here thinking that for a movie that's about a song that's going to save the universe and... A, you know, a movie about music this was a kind of musicless soundtrack <laughs> it, it, it really was other, other than like the Jimi Hendrix doing the Mozart bit 
Well, yeah, there's Jimmy doing that. We get a little bit out of their their version of Louis Armstrong. Um, but, I mean, they're only snippets. They're not songs. Right. And, and I'm distinctively noting that there's not, like, a song song in the background. It, throughout Bill and Ted's, you got a whole soundtrack uh, of songs that were constantly playing in the background of that movie. To which, to this day, that soundtrack is one of my favorites. It's just so much fun. And given that they were being presented as the saviors of the universe by song, I liked that it had all this fun music. And this didn't have any fun music. And their ultimate solution was chaos. Mm -hmm. Like, there was nothing even formed out of having all of these great uh, musicians at all there. They didn't have a plan. There was no song. And I, I will give them a little credit for the whole, the music that saves the universe is the music that we all make together. I liked the message, but I thought it was a little chaotic to get there. One of the strengths, I think, of the first film, and to some extent the second film, because it doesn't go so far, mm-hmm. is that you're talking about you know the whole premise is like these guys are going to get together and create the song that aligns the planets into universal harmony. Mm-hmm. How do you visualize that? How do you actually come up with that? You can't. Right, no. And the idea that this movie goes so far as to actually trying and saying, yes, this is the song that's gonna that does it, like it's just too much of a stretch. I like the fact that at the end of the first film, they still can't play their guitars. Right. And you got Carlin, they do get better. You know, <laughs> that's great. That's a fantastic punchline to end that film on. And honestly, the next film only kind of takes away from that. It does, yeah. And so, but then in the next film. They can play, they've got their band, they're successful, fine. But they don't go so far as going as playing and saying they're playing the song that aligns and creates universal harmony. That's still in the future. And that's okay to leave it there. Mm-hmm. This movie goes, no, no, you have to play this song, and we're going to have this song in the film. Like, that, 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 that song's not going to bring the planets out in alignment that's not gonna instill universal harmony across the world well yeah because they they upped the ante in fact because this wasn't even just to uh to align the planets and bring peace throughout um at least known life uh but this was they upped it to Without it, uh, reality breaks down. Uh, it's the end of the world without it. It's not just that we save and make a better world with it. It's that it everything goes to hell if this doesn't happen. So yeah, see, I don't. I didn't even like that bit either. No, I, I like didn't. the i I like the idea of of a song uniting people, not actually having some weird metaphysical power. Right. And, yeah, no, and then the fact that yeah, you put a you put way too much pressure on this, and I honestly have to say, th- it's this movie was kind of a little depressing because I mean, because this is thirty years, at least the first two movies left it to okay, our heroes are on their way to do their thing, and you just assume at some point the thing happens, uh, right. and then the. The world is right. But we're watching them 30 years after all of that happened, and it hasn't happened. And they're just as clueless as they were in, like, the first film. Right, to the to the point where, uh, I mean, again, we, we referenced the gag in the original film where they, they actually set up their own paradoxes so that they could, they could fail then go back in time and fix everything in time to not fail. Um, so they they had left themselves that room to do that. Now they're do we're gonna play on that thing again where we're going into the future to steal from ourselves because apparently we did this at some point. but that's still a, it, it still involves that you have to fail first part and, and that part always bugs me. <laughs> Well, 
We'll continue to debate that. We can, and that's the point of the conversation and the fun of di- discussing time travel, anyways. But I mean, um, still, uh, it, it goes with the kind of it's kind of a downer. They're they're they they haven't done what they were supposed to do in the past thirty years, and they still so desperately don't know what to do that their only thing that they can think to do is try to go get it from themselves at another point in time in the future, which ad- admittedly leads to some of the more comedic stuff that does happen in the film. Yeah, you never want to see your favorite band playing the small venues. Right. You know, you don't want to see them being, the, you know, they, they were the superstars and now they're playing some backroom bar the, uh, the Holiday Inn Express Lounge. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is where I feel like they've they've taken, you know, Wild Stallions is, you know, incredibly successful and they're going to play the Grand Canyon and everything at the end of the second film. And now they're, granted, it's Missy and Deacon's wedding, mm-hmm. spoilers, but they're playing weddings. <laughs> Ted and I have known Missy in different capacities for many decades. First, she was our babysitter when we were 10. Then we both invited her to the prom when she was a senior and we were freshmen. Two years later, she married my dad and Missy became mom. After divorcing Bill's dad, she married my dad and became my mom. And now she's marrying Ted's little brother, Officer Deacon Logan. Yeah. Missy, Bill and I, along with my beautiful wife, Elizabeth, and our daughter, Billy, and my beautiful wife, Joanna, and our daughter, Thea, all want to welcome you back with With open open arms. arms. This happy event would seem to make Deacon his own father-in-law, and Ted his own uncle. (laughs) Not to mention making my dad his own son. But with that beautiful thought in mind, for your first dance, we wish to present you with a matrimonial offering. A sneak peek at the world premiere of our newest sonic creation. We're not sure if this is going to be the song that unites the world. We're pretty sure it might. At least we hope. Yeah. Please enjoy the first three movements of That Which Binds Us Through Time. The chemical, physical, and biological nature of love. An exploration of the meaning of meaning, part one. Ready, Bill? Ready, Ted. One, two, one, two, three, four. not not well <laughs> and, and doing it with ultra experimental because they've literally exhausted all other options to try to come up with this unifying song so they're playing bagpipes and doing aboriginal throat music it was bizarre and this gets into the type of comedy that usually is a little off-putting for me um it's actually why there are entire tv series that i don't watch which is uh, when you do comedy through embarrassment, the the notion that it's supposed to be funny because it's sad. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, watching them fail horribly at, during this wedding because they're... 
The part that's bugging me with the characters, too, they're 30 years older and they seem just as incompetent as ever. They're not fun, and on top of it, they've they've not experienced any personal growth, but they've managed to have families. <laughs> so, right. And managed to at least make a career of music up to this point. So, like, none well, of these he, things fit together. <laughs> well, and the film actually even suggests that their wives, the princesses from the Middle Ages, uh-huh. are the only ones, are the breadwinners, the only ones bringing in real money right. anymore. Yeah, so, like I said, it's just kind of on a down note that it, it was, it made me itchy to watch it. (laughs) Well, and so much of the stuff, it felt so forced. They wanted to get uh, William Sather, they needed to get death in. How are we going to do that? How how are we going to kill him to get him to hell? Yeah. Oh, obviously, a Terminator-style robot sent back from time. Oh, Okay. And and why exactly is it that what have they done <laughs> that would automatically send the entire group, all the musicians, the daughters, them, they get lasered, they go to hell. Yeah, uh, why does death equate to hell? Yeah. Like even in the uh even in the bogus journey, death didn't equate to hell. They just ended up in a competition with death. Right. So, why did we end up in hell in this movie? <laughs> and what's funny is they didn't even take advantage of some... Uh, they tried a little bit of comedy it, it, down there, down in hell, too. And that didn't right. quite work out either. Other than, um, again, uh, Samara weaving. And she's like, how you doing? Oh, good. You know, I'm in hell, you know. <laughs> again, her delivery is really great. It does make me kind of chuckle. Yeah, I was uh, actually digging Billy in that respect, oh. too. They, they played off of each other pretty well. Oh, no, absolutely. Like I said, they were doing a really good Bill and Ted impression. They were. They were great. Uh, and I, I almost wish, if you were going to do a Bill and Ted 3, I almost wish it was a Billy and Thea adventure with maybe a cameo yeah. from Keanu and Alex. I would have actually liked to have seen them have this adventure or, or with without the, the dads being this, the, the main role. Well, yeah, because, I mean, some of the overarching idea in this was supposed to be that relationship uh, that Bill and Ted have with also their family, uh, both, both good and disturbing. Uh, like, there is a funny part where they're in couples therapy, but they're in couples therapy as a couple of couples. Right. <laughs> Like, Bill and Ted are incapable of doing anything that doesn't involve Bill and Ted. Right. So, that was amusing. I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, there you go. So, maybe their marriage and and their music could be on the verge of of complete destruction, and their daughters unite to go back in time and or go to the future, you know, do the time travel to try to bring it all back together. Yeah. That would be a better story. If you're going to try to retell what's already been done in the first film, well, just go whole hog. Right. Uh, Well, you could have had some more fun with that anyway. Uh, Imagine if uh, in their time traveling, they actually ended up in one of the other films. Yeah. Like, they're, they're seeing the scene from a different angle, and they're just not... In, in the original movies, they would have been off screen, but now they're over here witnessing something that Bill and Ted did, and you have stand-ins or you do some decent CGI or something. Yeah. You could have some fun with that. Peeking around the ice cooler in front of the Circle K. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Rufus shows up. Because you could do that. You put him in the back, and all you see is Rufus from the back, and there's your stand-in. Um then yeah, like you said, you do a little CGI or some age regression, you know, technology or something on Keanu and Alex. It'd be that would have been awesome. That yeah, see that could have been a lot of fun. But instead, we got this. <laughs> <laughs> well, they even missed an opportunity since some of this was supposed to do with family, and they tried to have a um, a moment with uh, with. Hal Landon Jr.'s character of playing Chief Logan, where 
he's been on Ted's case since the very first movie and continues to be on Ted's case even in this movie, mostly because he's never believed any of the stories that they've ever told him about all their adventures. And then all of a sudden he actually finds himself in the middle of the adventure this time, and now he actually believes it, but it was such a blip in, in, in of a moment that they didn't take full advantage of it. And actually bringing back the family characters, it was a, it, it was a nice nod, I suppose. And the gag with Missy marrying Deacon. <laughs> yeah. Actually, w- watching Ted work out the relationship that they all have <laughs> yes. to Missy was the highlight of the film, honestly. <laughs> He was working it out and watch him working out the the look. That was the one time I think to Keanu had gotten down the whole Ted mannerism all over again. He right. was kind of raw. He was in a groove on that one. But again, Keanu Reeves and all the gravitas of the the work that he's done ever since, and, and just the act of aging and all that. Um, there's so much serious that sits on his face that it's hard for him to be Ted again. <laughs> I found it a little disturbing not seeing him with his kind of trademark beard. Keanu Reeves, oh, he, yeah, he yeah. shaved the, his the, beard. The, the ratty beard that he's uh, been carrying for the past, like, 10, 20 years. Yeah, he, he shaved it to, to, to be Ted again, and I'm looking at him going, how I see why you wear that. <laughs> It doesn't look right. No, which is which made it too funny that I watched this film on Sunday and then Monday last night. Uh, I actually caught a trailer for John Wick Four. So, ah. <laughs> so like, okay, those don't go together. <laughs> I think the thing that hurts the most for this is just you can't help but walk away. Uh, at least I did. Just disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, I, I really wanted this to be. I, I I could have been even happy. They already. Let, we could have even gone in a different direction. And I honestly thought that's where some of this might have been. Is especially since they call it Face the Music, and because Face the Music has its own connotation anyway. Mm-hmm. Ever since VH1 did the Face the Musics, the show the face the music was always about where are they now what are they up to and they never did a face the music on like the rolling stones who never had a downturn in the entire history and still to this day are playing venues to sold out crowds you don't do the face the music about the one that is still going face the music about is about where are they now do you remember those old has-beens so when you call this movie Bill and Ted Face the Music, I think they missed an opportunity for them to achieve that greatness, to, to actually have done, already done the thing. And then now we, we review their life. It, it, it's like um, when anybody achieves the pinnacle of their career and doesn't know where to go from it after that. So we could have had a movie about they, they did it. They, they, they created the song. Everything is right in the world. Everybody is happy. And we're watching them in their declining years trying to recapture something because they've already done it. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity here. I agree. Yeah, we have come up with a couple really great angles that would have made a much more entertaining film. Yeah, and, and that's what I was expecting to see. And then when we watched this, I'm like... This is just old Bill and Ted doing exactly the same thing they did before, only now we've got some weird sense of urgency that wasn't there in the first round. You know, I love that idea, Tom. Because just like I was saying where the first films end before they do the thing, mm-hmm. the idea of having a film pick up after they've done the thing, yeah. and you still and you don't have to cre- you don't have to create the thing. There is story after story out there uh, of, I, I mean, all you have to do is go talk to any Olympic athlete. 
any Olympic athlete who has, they have sacrificed their childhood and most of their prime years to achieve the pinnacle of everything that they have done. And after they've gotten their gold medals and all that, and now they're aging out of their ability to do that, what does life look like after that? We could have told that story for Bill and Ted, and there could have been so much fun in in all of that. (laughs) You could have made it fun. You could have made it poignant. You Mm -hmm. could have you could have made it emotional. Yeah, all all wrapped up in one. And you didn't. You decided (laughs) you had to tell the story of how they make the thing, and you can't help but just fall short of the goal on that right because that that's not really an achievable thing that was part of the fun of this is it it's a mythical thing to try to do i mean if you actually go to watch how zeus makes lightning um that's not gonna be as fun as just knowing he did exactly (laughs) we've both said what we each thought of it what did other people think of this film well, uh, unlike some of what we've wa- watched, uh, and it gets a little difficult to dig up uh, reviews from the, the various eras in which we've watched. Uh, funny, you, you watch a movie that's only tw- two years old, you can dig up a lot. <laughs> yeah, good. So, uh, and what was interesting in this is this does really run the gambit. I mean, I if I wanted to, I could go through easily. 25, 30 different reviews. We will not be doing that. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Uh, the, the phone booth is out of order or else we just, you know. <laughs> um, but just using some snippets like uh, Ty Burr from the Boston Globe just taking a little cut out of his. He, uh, he actually really liked this one, uh, called it Sweet, Dumb, Unnecessary, and Absurdly Charming Movie. So he was willing to give it the room that it took. All right. Um, uh, Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune, he called it cheesy, yeah, yes, hit and miss, maybe, but bits that work really do work. So, I like, hey, okay. again, somebody willing to just give it some room. But then you get into more, uh, let's see, we get down here. Um, from Empire, Al Horner uh, speaks of Reeves and Winter look like they're having a blast getting the band back together in a fun and forgettable time-traveling comedy. Neither bodacious nor bogus. So this is uh, in the middle. I don't know where they get the fun part. Uh, Bill and Ted didn't actually look like they were having fun in this film. Uh, hard to say. They look tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. Uh, then we get to Chicago Sun-Times, Richard Roper. Uh, the result is just a bigger, louder, more special effects-laden e- extension of a franchise that skated on pretty thin ice the first two times around. <laughs> so, yeah. not- so, so far, I think I might be closest with him. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of hard. Uh, like, I, I don't want to bag on the original Bill and Ted. It is what it is. It, it was fun. Um, you weren't meant to take it seriously. And it looked like they were having a good time doing it. I just didn't get that read out of this one. So then we get to my final one, which this one gets a little harsher. <laughs> so uh, this is from Johnny... Oleksinski, I'm going to butcher that name from the New York Post, um, whose headline is Bill and Ted Face the Music Review. Not so excellent. It starts off with, since Keanu Reeves uh, last played Bill in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991, we have watched him brutally kill hundreds of people. (laughs) In the Matrix trilogy, his Neo was a zen murder machine who could level whole cities with a little karate and a trench coat. Later in John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, he borrowed a library book to fatally break a thug's neck. This actor has spilled swimming pools full of fake blood. 
That's why it's a stretch to buy Reeves, 55 now. Uh, again, as an air guitaring stoner in the new sequel, Bill and Ted Face the Music. When Bill and Ted's excellent adventure made him a star 31 years ago, he was a high-spirited doofus with an infectious smile. Reeves has moved on and now has about one millionth of the enthusiasm that made him so much fun in this role before. So, yeah. Uh, yeah okay, it, yeah. It goes on to just kind of bag on the rest of it, but yeah, basically, he, he thinks it's dated itself. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I think for a sequel that really no one was asking for. Right. And it was completely unnecessary, especially after the sec- the, the original sequel kind of petered out quick. Yeah. If you were going to do it and do a third film, you really had to come up with something spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine that anyone sat around the, the, the table and thought that this was spectacular. Yeah. So why did they do it? See, and, and yeah, and this is where it begs further interview and, and research because it, it was so much fun to see Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves come back to play the characters. Absolutely. I was looking forward to that. But again, they came off as tired and not as into it as as we were led to believe. Like, I understand from other interviews with Keanu Reeves that he was really in he wanted to do this again he thought it would be a good time same with Alex Winter he actually went and took like refresher acting courses because he's he'd been out of the uh, acting because he's been directing and producing for for decades he's been behind the camera almost ever since the uh, original Bill and Ted's so exactly um, and uh, having a successful career that way so I totally get coming back in front of the camera had to be a bit of a stretch but clearly he wanted to do it I just was this the property that they wanted to do that with I mean mm-hmm. you and I sitting here spitballing came up with a half dozen better ideas than what this film did yeah I, I wanted this to work and I was so disappointed when it didn't I, I won't say that it's terrible. It's just not. It's not all. No, it no, been. no. It's not bad. It just fails to be as much fun as you uh, want it to be. Well, and or then, as much as you would hope it to be. And then I really did. Uh, honestly, I'm gonna give it credit on just the message that it did try to send in the end the idea is it's not even just two people making the perfect creation that that makes the world better it's all of us in concert together that makes the world better that is the right message at the right time told in the worst way possible (laughs) yes it's a message that's told so quickly you wonder how many people don't get that message at all. Right. Completely miss it. You didn't get that till the end of the movie. <laughs> like, it's not like it was a build to that. And that's where maybe even just having the girls do it, because actually they set out on that mission right away. And here's the problem with that. We don't know why they knew to do it. Like, even when they decided, oh, we, we need... Well, while our dads get the the perfect song, we should get the perfect band to go with that song. And so they were on the right track, but I mean, why was that the the thing they leapt to? They they were already all musicians. Why did they have to go find the band? Yeah, good so, point. Why so can't they play and their moms play and yeah. So that was a that was a uh, writing leap <laughs> that 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 the 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 writers of this movie just took and said here accept this premise because you had to go back and get the uh the characters from the past like they did in the first film to give you all your comedic moments and stuff and i would have preferred if they had just picked up napoleon (laughs) yeah had Napoleon set him straight? Yeah, see, I, I'll even throw in gags that I know that would have been hysterical. Imagine if uh, the daughters had gone and picked up 
characters that they that Bill and Ted had already picked up before, and they remember them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, you'd never get the same actor, you'd know, because they wouldn't be way too old, assuming they're even alive in some cases. Um, right. But I mean, yeah, imagine re recapturing Genghis Khan and and, uh, and Napoleon and Abraham Lincoln and Socrates and Billy. <laughs> and imagine getting Mr. them and Mr. Them. the Kid. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. the Kid. Imagine getting them at a point sometime after Bill and Ted did. Only it's the daughters coming for him and the kind of fun that could be had with even that right and besides Genghis could have played the drums since they went all the way back to somebody we have no idea who to catch yeah, the pre prehistory <laughs> yeah pre yeah. prehistory uh how did they know that this person was a good drummer since it yeah. was prehistory <laughs> <laughs> it's a heck of a leap girls <laughs> Well, I think we will leave it at that. So Bill and Ted face the music. Gets a meh from both of us, I think. Yeah. Wanted so much more, didn't get it. Well, we're going to watch something that we know is just stupid fun Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) next time. In two weeks' time, we're looking at the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic from 1994, Time Cop. I wonder if he'll do the splits. I... With just thinking, how do I work in Jean Claude splits <laughs> into my comment? Yes, maybe, absolutely. Maybe we have to split for now. So that should be a good time. I have not. This thing came out in '94. Whenever it hit VHS, '95, mm-hmm. '96. That's the last time I watched Time Cop. The last time we owned Blockbuster cards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so this will be a, definitely a throwback to the uh, blockbuster VHS days. Mm. That ought to be a it, ought, it should be a good time. It'll be yep. fun, indeed. So, any thoughts on that film? You know, drop us a line. Go timeshifterspodcast at gmail dot com or come to any of the socials. Follow the link in the show notes. Until then, thank you everyone for listening. We will talk to you later. Bye. See ya.